Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Rossafari Zoo News, your look at everything that's going on in the world of zoos, aquariums, conservation, and general animal weirdness. Y'all, uh, this is a crowdsourced Zoo News program, so if you see anything that you think is Zoo News worthy, you can send that to me either by emailing me, rossafaripod at gmail.com, or by tagging me in it, at rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or at rossafaripod on TikTok. And if you uh, send me something, I'll say your name before the end of the episode in a little thanks. So that's exciting. And this is normally the part of the episode where I go off and tell you all about my own life. But frankly, y'all sent me so many stories this week. I'm so appreciative. But uh, there is so much to cover. And also, we have two kind of bigger controversies that we're going to do some mini deep dives into. So um, let's just say that all is well. I am playing Zelda. I am playing shows. And I am going to zoos and aquariums to bring you new content. So life is normal and life is good. And with that said, let's get to it. Zoo News. It's All right, so right off the bat, we have to start off by talking about the controversy that hit Zoo Miami this week. Uh, it's, it's an interesting discussion, and I think it's one that we're going to look at from a couple different perspectives and different angles. So um, let's do a deep dive on the kiwi at Zoo Miami. All right, so this is a bird, a kiwi bird, uh, which is the national bird of New Zealand uh, and is actually an animal that the people of New Zealand take a lot of pride in. Uh, New Zealanders frequently call themselves kiwis in reference to the bird. Uh, it has nothing to do with the fruit, although it's not entirely true because the fruit kind of looks like a seeded kiwi. So, um, yeah, but you know, the, that, that isn't anything relevant to the kiwi bird in this moment. And Zoo Miami is actually the first facility in the United States to successfully hatch a kiwi. Uh, the egg was actually given to it by the Smithsonian um, Conservation Biology Institute, which is the non-national zoo, not open to the public facility that the Smithsonian does a lot of really cool breeding at and all that kind of stuff. We've talked about them a bunch on the podcast. So great facility, and they send the egg to another great facility, Zoo Miami, which then hand-reared this kiwi specifically to be an ambassador animal. They've been doing kiwi encounters a couple times a week, I think four times a week, uh, for a while now. But recently, a video went viral that showed one of the uh, keepers 
talking about the kiwi and comparing it to a dog and showing that it even liked to be petted on the head and letting guests pet the kiwi as well. Uh, There was also some questioning about the handling of the kiwi, um, although I didn't see any experts asking about it. It was just, you know, social media experts who were curious about if the bird was being handled correctly or not. This video led to a ton of controversy, though, um, with the people of New Zealand becoming very upset at the fact that the bird was being touched at all, that the bird, which is a nocturnal species, was out during the day and under fluorescent lighting, and um, also the comparison to a dog did not go over particularly well. Those were the actual facts from the actual video that people uh, started freaking out about. And then, of course, because the internet, there was a whole controversy where supposedly a keeper at Miami claimed that the egg had been smuggled there illegally from New Zealand, which is total BS. The uh, egg was from the Smithsonian, and I actually had that confirmed for me um, by somebody who works at the SCBI. So I, I do believe that to be true and know that to be true. All of this stuff is very well tracked. Also, it's worth mentioning that the vet at Zoo Miami is the SSP coordinator for all of the Kiwis in the AZA. So worth mentioning that this is a facility and these are people that know what they're doing. However, the internet did not agree. So the internet blew up with this controversy. The people of New Zealand started spamming every post that Zoo Miami had made on social media recently, accusing them of animal abuse, telling them that they were horrible, telling them that they were disrespecting uh, the entire nation of New Zealand, and that the bird should be returned to New Zealand because of all the false information out there. Uh, Zoo Miami, I have to give them a lot of props for this, responded very quickly with a statement saying that they have heard the concerns about the Kiwi Peora and that they apologize, which honestly I thought was very cool, for any stress that they may have caused by the video being seen. They were careful to not apologize for how they are actually taking care of this bird because they believe that it is being handled correctly. However, they have immediately suspended permanently all ambassador meetings with the Kiwi and have dedicated themselves to building a habitat in which this bird can live a nocturnal lifestyle and yet still be seen and have signage up to teach people about kiwi without there being any actual hands-on interactions with the bird. So right off the bat, props to Zoo Miami for, you know, just completely owning that they caused controversy and trying to make it right. And look, I'm not an expert on Kiwis, so maybe this wasn't the greatest situation, and maybe Zoo Miami truly did make a mistake here. I am not 100% sure, but what I do know is that when you actually break down the complaints here, it's not quite as bad as the internet will have you believe. So, for starters, there are a whole lot of animals in zoos that are nocturnal in the wild, but we change their sleep schedules with absolutely no issue for 
uh, the animals. We do enough stress testing and other stuff for this to be known now. There are a couple different ways that this happens. There are things like the um, light cycle in the uh, Night Hunters building at the Cincinnati Zoo is just reversed. So when you're in there, it's dark and the animals are used to it being, quote, nighttime for them, even though it's the daytime. And so they happen to be more active and you can see them being their nocturnal selves in their dark little exhibits. Uh, they use red light, which the animals in there can't see so that you can still see in uh, in some of them and kind of blue lighting in others. But, um, yeah, they make it so that, you know, the animals are on a reversed sleep schedule from the actual sun and night situation in Cincinnati. But also going beyond that, they're just species that do absolutely fine on a reverse cycle uh, in captivity. As a matter of fact, if you go into Night Hunters in Cincinnati, some of the animals that you are going to see in there include binturongs, ringtails, and fennec foxes, all of which I have seen on exhibit in zoos thriving, doing well, breeding, eating, all the things, um, like outside, you know, on a normal schedule. Heck, even at Cincinnati, Lucille is up and wandering around during the day, the uh, ambassador binturong, while the exhibit binturongs are nocturnal. It's it's really interesting, um, but this is something that we've known for a while. So the fact that this was a kiwi that was hatched in captivity and was raised to be an ambassador animal means that it's very likely that they flipped the uh, schedule that it lives on. And, and also, people don't really understand nocturnal as well as they think they do. I think they think that that means that you are up and wandering all night and living your best life and then sleeping all day. And that's, that's kind of what that means. Um, but if you've ever been into a nocturnal building at a zoo, you know that these animals like to sleep during the night as well sometimes. Uh, it's kind of like how, you know, our dogs will sleep when they want to sleep and be awake, when they want to be awake, even though they are um, diurnal animals, they can wake up at 3 a.m. and want to play. Thanks, Flam. I love you, puppy. Um, or they could sleep throughout the day. Thanks, Lexi. I love you, puppy. Um, you know, these things happen. So it's 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 kind of weird to see that be a big blow up on this topic. I get it. But um, odds are that uh, the Kiwi was fine with what was going on uh, from, from a nocturnal perspective. Now, as far as being hands-on with the animal, um, again, you know, it was raised to be an ambassador animal. And while most Kiwis might not want that, and heck, there are animals that are raised to be ambassador animals and they don't want that, uh, there are also plenty that are. I have met a ton of really cool ambassador animals, including birds, that want to interact with people, that want to be touched, that want to be petted, that see that as a form of enrichment that see that as a form of uh, positive reward in training. So like these are animals that actually want to be rewarded with human touch. And the truth is that we don't really know what the situation here is. We know that Zoo Miami was comfortable enough with their handling of this bird to not only allow encounters, a small number of encounters each week, but still some, 
uh, and, but also to allow, you know, recording of the encounters and, and have that stuff out in the public. This was not some sneaky person going behind the scenes and capturing bad handling and busting a zoo. This was something that any member of the public could go and do and document and post online, and it just happened to go viral and piss off a lot of people. And I will say, I do think that is where Zoo Miami made their biggest mistake. I don't think it's in the handling of this bird. I don't think it's in the ambassador aspect of it. I would 100% go and have this encounter at any good accredited zoo and trust that it is going well. I think where they made a mistake is they didn't fully appreciate how important the Kiwi is as a national symbol of New Zealand and how important it is spiritually to the Maori people of New Zealand, which they own right in their apology. So yeah, I don't know that a Kiwi was the best choice for an encounter, but I also think that the blow up about this was disproportionate to what is actually shown in the video. You know, it also got to this weird thing where, like, uh, the bird, which again is named Peora, was um, named that after a conservationist in New Zealand. And that person was actually asked about the video. And uh, there was a statement that he put out that said that he didn't agree with that type of handling. But he also said that he didn't even see the video. And people really latched on to the whole not agreeing with it bit without you know, commenting uh, about the fact that he hadn't seen the video. So, like, there's just a lot of weirdness surrounding this controversy. Uh, In the end, I think that Zoo Miami did the correct thing in ending this encounter. They had to. It's it's not going away if they keep doing this and, and they saw that. But I think there's a lot more to this than just, oh, Zoo Miami screwed up. Um, Or, you know, God forbid, the people that are out there saying, ah, Zoo Miami are all a bunch of animal abusers. No, 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 no. They're not. They are very much not that. And I think that this issue is so important to go deep on because I think it really illustrates a couple of different things. It illustrates how social media is starting to dictate like real life now. Like there is an encounter that you cannot do now because people literally on the other side of the world saw a video about it and got pissed off. It also shows that there's not a whole lot of nuance in a lot of the stories that are out there now. I've spent more time talking about this than, uh, you know, any one article that I've seen about it by a lot. Um, and it, it also shows that, you know, even the best intentions can go wrong. Uh, Zoo Miami, I am sure, was wildly excited to have not only the first kiwi hatched in the States, but the ability to do ambassador programs with said kiwi. That's incredible. And um, it blew up. And that sucks. Uh, but Zoo Miami does amazing work. The people there are amazing. And um, I am 100% confident when I say that I am not concerned about that zoo. I hope they're able to weather the storm. I hope that, um, you know, they are able to 
Have people stop wasting their time by commenting on every social media post that they put up now, claiming that they are animal abusers and such. And I hope that they are able to get over the fact that basically the entire country of New Zealand is pissed off at them right now because they are an amazing facility. They do incredible conservation work. And, um, you know, they reacted properly when the controversy hit. And really, that's all you can ask for in this world when you never know what a controversy will be. And while we're on the topic of controversial things in our zoo world, uh, let's talk about the Henry Villas Zoo again. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, silly John, you talked about this last week and we talked about the controversy and you just forgot that you did that. No, no, no. See, I did that and then more controversy has arisen. Um, so after the last animal welfare investigations happened and the zoo seemed to be cleared of all charges, uh, just a few months later, another staff member left over concerns about animal welfare and in particular the fact that the uh, zoo does not have its own vet and works with the University of Wisconsin School of Veterinary Medicine to have vets supplied when necessary, and that the uh, zoo and the vet school were simply not communicating well enough and not doing enough for the care of the animals in question. Now, both the zoo and the school have denied any wrongdoing— However, the uh, University of Wisconsin School of Veterinary Medicine has officially decided to end their contract relationship for vet care with the Henry Villas Zoo at the end of June. Now, the uh, vet school is saying that this decision has nothing to do with the latest controversy or any of the other controversies that the zoo has been absolutely plagued by, and that they simply are too busy at the hospital to be able to send vets to the zoo as required. They also, in their statement, made a point of saying that other zoos the size of Henry Villas do have their own vet staff. So, um, yeah, this is yet another animal welfare controversy, and uh, it's a real bad look that the school is ending their vet contract with them, despite them saying nice things in the release. Again, I can't stress this enough. The director of the zoo needs to be removed or, at the very least, step down. I don't care if this is all a bunch of happenstance. I don't care at this point if this poor beleaguered woman has just been in the wrong place at the wrong time. And we actually know that's not true because of the findings of the um, sexual harassment and abuse of power that led to the multi-million dollar settlement uh, from both the zoo and the AZA. But this is beyond ridiculous. I was calling for this person to step down last week, and now there's already another controversy. I mean, at this point, she should just run for president because it's the only thing she seems to have the uh, credentials to do. There's, there's enough controversy now to make that work. But I really hope this wonderful zoo that I really love in Wisconsin, where my favorite red panda lives— uh, can get their poop together because it's breaking my heart to talk about this every week. They need to do better. And it starts at the top. All right, let's talk about some of the cool births that have happened lately in the zoo world that I'm really excited about. 
Um, so the North Carolina Zoo has two exciting births. They've announced the birth of a new giraffe, which is very cool. And they also announced the birth of a baby chimpanzee that actually happened on exhibit while guests were there. So people were able to see the birth of a chimpanzee in person, which is absolutely incredible. The Memphis Zoo has announced the birth of Sumatran tiger cubs, and uh, there's actually non-photoshopped footage of the two of them lying with Mama with their tails making a perfect heart. It's really adorable, and I highly recommend you check it out. The Smithsonian's National Zoo has announced the birth of meerkat babies, and uh, this is the first time that they have had baby meerkats at the zoo in 16 years, so this is a really big win for the uh, National Zoo. I also love the idea when we play with our little let's game that they would be mirrorlets. So uh, that's really exciting. Cheyenne Mountain Zoo has announced the birth of Amur Leopard Cubs, the most endangered cat in the world. And now there are new ones at the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo, which I absolutely love. Mesker Park Zoo has announced that for the first time in the zoo's history, there is a baby howler monkey available to be seen at the zoo, which is absolutely adorable. And something most people might consider less adorable, but I think is really cute, is that the uh, Topeka Zoo in Topeka, Kansas, has actually announced the birth of some Asian forest scorpions. And part of what actually makes it really cute is that while Mama is a big black scorpion, all of the babies are pure white and are currently living on her back, which is really something to see. So I really do love that and really do think it's cute. Cleveland Metro Park Zoo has announced the birth of a baby bison, and uh, this is really cool because I was actually at the zoo the day that the parents arrived and uh, instantly went out on exhibit, and um, it turned out that the uh, the female arrived already pregnant, which was known before uh, she made the move to Cleveland Metro Park Zoo, uh, and now that baby has been born and is uh, is chilling out with uh, with mom and the rest of the herd. So that's it's pretty exciting. And then last but not least for uh, the births is our friends at Roger Williams Park Zoo have announced the birth of two red wolf pups, which makes me so happy. They are such an endangered species. Every birth super matters. So all of that is really, really exciting. And for those paying attention at home, that means that we have new drafflet, chimplet, tiglet, mirrorlet, omerleplets, uh, scorplets, uh, howlets, uh, bicelets, and red wolflets. So congrats to all of those zoos on these amazing births. And actually, while we're talking about Roger Williams Park Zoo, I have two more stories out of there. First of all, uh, Roger Williams Park Zoo recently announced that 16 illegally poached musk turtles have been returned to Pennsylvania after quarantining and remaining under the care of the veterinary team undergoing health screenings, supportive care, and treatment at Roger Williams Park Zoo using equipment that had been provided by the AZA's North American Turtle Safe Program to take care of them after they were confiscated and, um, you 
you know, now they're going to keep growing in Pennsylvania until they are large enough to be released back into the wild. So that is 16 illegally trafficked turtles that have been untrafficked and saved by uh, Roger Williams Park Zoo and the government agencies tasked with getting those um, illegal turtles off the market. And then uh, there's also another fun little story, and I always kind of enjoy when I get to be part of the Zoo News story. Uh, I mentioned to y'all on on the socials recently and, and on Zoo News that I was recently at Roger Williams Park Zoo with Danny Poirier-Larson, and that part of that was uh, hanging out with the various birds that are there for the bird show through NEI. Well, we uh, actually got to help with some free flight macaw training, which is always an incredible thing to be a part of. And uh, it turns out that uh, a couple of the macaws decided that maybe they wanted to go check out the area around home rather than just be home. So three of them actually flew off while we were there. It was crazy. Uh, it was crazy for us, actually, the NEI staff. You know, when you work with birds, then you're training them for free flight. These kinds of things happen, and they could not have been calmer or more professional. But uh, what ended up happening was that uh, Danny and I um, spent the whole rest of the day, her up in a lift with one of the trainers and me down by the perch with uh, another one of the trainers, just searching the skies and hoping that we would catch a glimpse of a macaw or three. We did not. However, all three birds have safely returned home after being uh, found by members of the community who, who reported it to, uh, to authorities and the zoo. Uh, it's really cool, really exciting that all three made it back. Um, and honestly, not that surprising. Birds, uh, birds like being where their home is. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting to be a part of that. And I noticed the next day, the zoo put out a social media post just saying, hey, just so you know, we're doing free flight macaw training. And sometimes they decide to go and, and explore a little bit. So if you see them in the neighborhood, don't worry and just let us know. Uh, and actually in talking to people there, it seems like everyone in the community there is really supportive of the zoo and uh, love that they can see the free flight, you know, even from a distance and stuff. So it, it wasn't a controversial thing, but I will tell you, it was really funny being there and witnessing it. Uh, not going to lie. That was a good time. All right, so I wanted to give us a little bit of space after the first two stories before uh, doing the deaths, but we do have a couple of deaths to talk about this week. The first one is at the Milwaukee County Zoo, where they had to say goodbye to their zebra, Stuart, recently, uh, because he was exploring, running, and chasing the impalas in their multi-species habitat when Stuart inadvertently came in contact with the wire containment fencing surrounding the yard and injured himself. Himself. Despite the vet team responding immediately, he was not able to survive the injuries. Uh, Stewart was born in 2018 and moved to the zoo in 2019, so this was a relatively young zebra. Um, and, you know, this is the second week in a row where a zebra has had a problem with some fencing and it ended up costing it uh, its life. Hoping this is not the sign of a trend and hoping that they are able to figure out a way to um, 
fix this and make this kind of thing not happen at uh, any other zoos moving forward. But sending our condolences to everyone at the Milwaukee County Zoo. Also, we have to send our condolences to the Cincinnati Zoo team, where Quilliam, an ambassador porcupine, has passed away. Quilliam was quite famous uh, in certain circles, so this is a big loss. And Quilliam had a really big personality and had actually been hand-reared from uh, the time that it was a porcupet um, by certain keepers there. So big loss, had a great life though, and uh, absolutely sending love and condolences to the uh, the entire team there. Especially, actually, Quilliam worked with the cat ambassador team. Now, fun animal fact, uh, porcupines are not cats, but, um, he was just, he was a great part of the team and, uh, I got to, to meet him, uh, when I did some of the cheetah stuff there and it's, it's just sad to, uh, to say goodbye to Quilliam. And then, um, last but not least with the deaths this week and this one, this one hurts. Brandywine Zoo in Delaware has said goodbye to their female red panda, Mohu. Now, if you uh, listened to the um, the panda-centric episode of the podcast from there, you'll know that I very much love Sherman and Mohu. They have been there for a long time. I love seeing them together. I loved getting to uh, experience a training session with them. And uh, most importantly for me, when all of the facilities closed down at the early part of COVID and all of my gigs went away and I was really struggling losing the two things that I loved doing the most, playing and going to zoos, um, it occurred to me that I could go to Brandywine Zoo. And even though the zoo was closed, it's just a, a zoo in a park with a fence and so there were a couple of times that Zoe and I um, hopped in the car and grabbed a dog or two and headed to that park and took the dog for a walk. But also I jumped right up to the fence and shoved my head up against it and could look in and see uh, Shermie and, and Mohu hanging out. Um, so this was a panda who really helped me get through a hard time. Uh, my, my COVID zoo animal. Um, and so I, I, I am going to, I'm going to miss her greatly. It is, it is really sad, uh, that, that she is gone. Um, it turns out that she actually was epileptic, which I did not know that pandas could suffer from epilepsy, but uh, there you go. She was uh, around 10 years old, um, which is not particularly old for a captive panda, but does mean that she had a good long life. And uh, so far, Sherman is not showing any ill effects at the loss of his friend, which makes sense because even though pandas actually do do pretty well together um, in captivity, uh, they are solitary by nature, and most of them don't form particularly strong bonds with their partners, even if they do learn to live together comfortably. So uh, sending condolences to everyone at Brandywine. And uh, yeah, we'll miss you, Mohu. The Toronto Zoo had announced some concerning and then announced some exciting news about their tiger, Maisie. 
Uh, Maisie is a 15-year-old Amur tiger, and um, earlier last week uh, was showing some respiratory issues, and they weren't really sure what was going on. Uh, they did blood work, radiology exams, and samples uh, that were sent off to test for viral and bacterial agents. And they announced all of this while they were still waiting for results and taking care of her um, off exhibit at the Zoo's Wildlife Health Center. Uh, the day after she initially seemed sick, uh, she was seeming better and kind of more like herself, but they weren't sure what was going on. And uh, that's when they announced that this was happening, but also announced that even though she was doing okay, it seemed uh, this was not a good look and they could not guarantee that, um, you know, anything positive would come from it. Well, it turns out that in that time, Maisie has continued to recover and she has improved every day. So far, every test that they have done has come back negative and they have no idea why she suddenly had respiratory issues last week. But given her recent progress, it is very likely that she will be uh, back out on Habitat this weekend and viewable again. Um, and I just think that's really cool that they were able to take such good care of her that she's recovering. I really hope they figure out what's going on, though, and there, there's not, like, a relapse or whatever, but, um, go Maisie! Yay for fighting hard and, and overcoming whatever you had to overcome. The Philadelphia Zoo recently announced the birth of two sloth bear cubs, and this week they have announced two exciting things about those cubs— First of all, you can help name those cubs, and second of all, they are now available to be seen on display. So if you're interested in helping with the naming, you can go to any of the Philadelphia Zoo social media pages and uh, help them pick the names. And if you happen to be in the Philadelphia area, you can now go and see those cubs. He says, realizing that he is currently in the Philadelphia area. Hmm... Wonder if I'll be going to the Philly Zoo anytime soon. And uh, speaking of uh, very cool things happening at zoos in Pennsylvania, another zoo that is a, a very good friend of the podcast has announced that they have uh, opened a new exhibit. As a matter of fact, this exhibit is opening on the day this podcast drops, so if you're hearing this, you can run to the Lehigh Valley Zoo and check out Habitat Madagascar. It is an indoor and outdoor habitat for mongoose lemurs, red-ruffed lemurs, and leopard tortoises, and uh, also has additional areas for them to live off exhibit when they want to be behind the scenes. Uh, it's a really beautiful little exhibit, and it's really cool that they chose these particular uh, species. And um, it's worth mentioning that um, there is a nursery there because the lemurs that are at the zoo are hopefully going to be breeding. And so there will soon be little lemlets running around the zoo if all goes well. So congratulations uh, to the Lehigh Valley Zoo on this incredible new exhibit. I can't wait to come and see it. And that brings us to... Conservation! Conservation! News time! Oh yeah! All right, so uh, some congratulations are in order to our friend of the pod, Joel Sartore. God, that's fun to say. Uh, for two different things. First of all, 
the photo arc has officially now reached 14,000 species documented by Joel. That is absolutely wildly incredible. And also, on the 50th anniversary of the Endangered Species Act, which just uh, took place, the U.S. Postal Service released special uh, forever stamps featuring Joel Sartori's Nat Geo photo arc images. So right now, you can go to the post office and buy special endangered forever stamps. And they actually cross off the word forever and say endangered, which I think is kind of adorable. And some of the money goes to conservation so you can buy cool stamps and help conservation all at once yay the members of the united nations have agreed on a treaty that will protect marine life in areas outside of national boundary waters which are known as the high seas and uh here you thought that was just a term used by pirates in old movies anyway um, this treaty will create a new body to manage conservation of ocean life and establish protected areas in the high seas. The body will focus on four areas, conservation and sustainable use of marine biological diversity, including marine genetic resources, area-based management tools, including the establishment of large-scale marine protected areas, environmental impact assessments on high seas biodiversity, and capacity building and the transfer of marine technology, all of which is really exciting and, uh, you know, frankly, uh, a new area for conservation. The high seas are traditionally not governed, so this is a really cool uh, opportunity to start trying to take care of the lives that live in them. And given that, you know, national boundaries aren't exactly respected by wilderness, there are a lot of animals that, like, come to our shores and stuff like sea turtles and also spend time in the high seas. So this is very cool, and hopefully something big comes from it. The University of Rochester, who happened to have the Yellow Jacket as their official mascot, has been uh, certified as a Bee Campus USA, and that's B-E-E, -E, the animal. They're not just going to be a campus. They already were that. That's, that's what you are when you're a college. To become a B-certified campus, uh, you have to agree to create and enhance pollinator habitat on campuses by increasing the abundance of native plants and providing nest sites, reduce the use of pesticides on campus, offer courses or continuing education opportunities that incorporate pollinator conservation, offer service learning projects to enhance pollinator habitat, display signage focused on pollinator conservation, and maintain an online presence for your B Campus USA activities, as well as paying an initial application fee, an annual renewal fee, and actually going through uh, the renewal process every year, getting recertified every year. So it's a heck of a commitment to B Conservation and is something that I think is really cool and more campuses should look into. A new frog species has been discovered in the Amazon rainforest in central Peru, and it's pretty surprising uh, because this is actually a fairly heavy uh, traffic area, and as such, the identification of a new species just kind of being there and thriving there is surprising, but uh, this has happened, and the frog actually has colors that resemble flames around their groins. So uh, the frogs are being referred to as having, quote, groins of fire. 
So yeah, new frog species and also uh, maybe a new hit song. Uh, we could uh, change Great Balls of Fire to Great Groins of Fire. No, this is not going to sell. All right. Anyway, moving on. Red Panda Network has announced that they will be hosting the 2023 Red Panda Art Auction from July 2nd to July 9th. This will be an online event where you can bid on your favorite Red Panda paintings and other art forms from artists worldwide. Uh, they're currently soliciting art for the auction if you are interested in donating some art for it. And uh, if you'd like to do that, you can email uh, Red Panda Network at auction at redpandanetwork.org. I know that they are looking for artists to do art pieces of Red Pandas and also may try to get some zookeepers to provide some Red Panda art created by the pandas themselves that could then be uh, auctioned off here. Um, and all funds raised during the auction will support community-based red panda conservation so uh yeah go and uh donate some art if that's your thing and go buy it if it's not your thing Hopefully you tuned into Tuesday's episode and heard from Carlton Ward Jr. about the work being done by the Florida government to conserve land in the state right now. Well, uh, on May 23rd, the governor of Florida and the cabinet thereof approved funding for the permanent conservation of 39,345 acres across 13 properties, 12 of which are within the Florida Wildlife Corridor. This is a really big deal and means that a lot more land uh, is now going to be kept safe for the wildlife of Florida, a state that is gaining a thousand new residents a day. So uh, while I don't often praise the government of Florida for many things, I have to say that this is pretty awesome and uh, it's, it's cool to see what Carlton was talking about in that episode immediately pop up in conservation news. And last but not least in conservation news, uh, a story that could really make a difference to the planet uh, once we've done more research into it. A team of scientists in Australia have successfully used backyard mold to break down one of the world's most stubborn plastics. And they're hoping that this can lead to this mold being used to eat all of the plastic that, um, you know, is currently backed up everywhere because we suck at recycling. And honestly, even places and people that do recycle kind of suck at it. It's, it's a whole thing. So, yeah, there are actually two different types of fungi that are currently being used for this experiment. And um, it's going really well. It took 90 days for the fungi to degrade 27% of the plastic tested and about 140 days to completely break it down once the samples were also exposed to UV rays or heat. That is huge news. If this is successful and if they are able to breed these two types of fungi, this could be world changing. We could wipe out so much of the plastic pollution that we are facing. Obviously, this is still early testing. There are a lot of questions about, you know, how much you can reproduce the fungi and um, just even if there would be any side effects or other issues that we don't know about. But for right now, this might be the coolest story about plastic pollution that we have seen in a long time. It's time for other news. 
it's time for other news. Hey, now, right now, right now, it's time. It's time for other news. Hey, it's a segue to the podcast other news. A clinic in Australia has rescued a rare golden possum. And don't forget, possums in Australia are very different than opossums in the U.S., uh, which will explain this next sentence, which is that this thing is really getting famous right now because it looks like a real-life Pikachu. Kind of. I It kind of does. It's also just really cute. So go and Google possum Pikachu, and uh, you'll thank me later. Did y'all know that cows are narcs? Apparently they are, at least in North Carolina, where um, in the town of Boone, uh, there was a criminal that was, um, or I guess I should use the word fugitive since, uh, you know, he has not officially um, been tried yet. But there was a fugitive hiding in a cow pasture trying to avoid cops. And the cows were having absolutely none of it. Um, apparently, the cows did not want the suspected criminal uh, in their pasture. And the cows literally led the cops to the man, which is absolutely amazing. So, um, yeah, that, that lets you know that uh, there might be some future super cops that are, are cows or cow cops or I don't know. All I know is it's a really cute story. All right, so that brings us to your animal holidays for the week. And it is the last week of May, which is National Lake Cleanup Month, National Duckling Month, and No Mow May. And um, then actually we're going to launch into June on the day before the next episode comes out, which is Zoo and Aquarium Month, World Oceans Month, and Orca Month. Hopefully we'll have some good news about Toki in World Orca Month. Anyway, looking at our individual days, we've got nothing on the 26th or 27th, but then the 28th is World Dole Day, Whooping Crane Day, and World Dugong Day. And it also launches Black Birders Week, which runs from the 28th to June 3rd. Then on the 30th, it is World Sea Lion Day, and the 31st is World Otter Day and World Parrot Day. And then on June 1st, we have World Reef Day and Dinosaur Day. And those are your animal holidays for the week. All right, so there you have it. Uh, your zoo news is done for the week. Hope you all enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed making it. And by that, I mean struggling through making it when really I just wanted to go play Zelda. No, I'm kidding. I I like this podcast, too. There's not much that I like right now that isn't Zelda or this podcast, though, but that's besides the point. Anyway, I'd like to say thank you to um, my Red Panda-level patrons, Lara Shank, Kristen Dickey, and Stephen Williamson. And I'd also like to say thank you to everybody who contributed stories this week. Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Carrie Kirkpatrick, Kevin Williams, Jay Meredith, Emily Rockbuck, Lara Shank, Jacob Zinn, Liz Dunleavy, Rob at Jim 
Ginger Ape on Instagram, Dylan Hoy, Ken Tryon, not Tyrion, but Tryon, and Emily Poche. And remember, friends, the words Newsy credits backwards are Stiderk Yuswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Rossi. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo. Oh, goodness gracious, great groins of fire.